Shabbat Shalom, everyone. Good Shabbos. Now, I want to tell you a story that comes in lots of different versions. Some of them use a monastery or a school. But I'm going to tell you the version told by the theologian Abraham Joshua Heschel, who passed away nearly 50 years ago. It's about a rabbi and his students. Well, because I'm a rabbi, that's why. The rabbi is teaching and spending time with the students. And after his lecture, he invites them to ask any question they wish. They now have the opportunity to find the answer to anything they want to know. The group goes round and round asking historical questions, personal questions, technical questions. They then come to the last student who asks, Rabbi, you've been asked all kinds of questions on history and personal problems and technical observances, but I want to know, what's the meaning of life? And the sage rabbi smiles, pauses, and says, My son, that's such a beautiful question. Why would you want an answer? And some of you will think that this is such a rabbi kind of answer, you know, answering a question with a question. But I think there's a deeper truth to this, one that is deeply embedded in the fabric of Judaism, which says that life is illuminated more by understanding the questions than finding answers. Which is to say, how in the world will you ever know what you're looking for if you don't know what you're looking for? So I've been a rabbi for more than a quarter of a century, and I have have had untold numbers of people in and out of my study over those years searching to understand the questions they need to find answers for. And I've seen over that time that most of the questions come down to two things, and two things only. They are love and money. So first I'm going to tell you about love. You think there is this pressure for us to find a partner, secure marriage, and build a family, and ultimately not to be alone. And yes, I have single people coming into my office looking for help and finding a partner. But in truth, there is an equal number of people who have someone. They have found a spouse. They've built their families who on the outside do not look to be alone. But that's not their whole story because even people in families can feel terribly alone. And that's because of a fundamental critical error that people make about love. Because love is not only an emotion, which is something I feel. For love to be real, it has to be an enacted emotion, something that I do to those that I love. So when I speak to couples who are about to be married, sometimes I ask them what they cherish about their relationships. And inevitably, almost always, they tell me, I love how they make me feel when I'm with them. To which I say that's very nice. But wouldn't it be better to say I cherish how my beloved feels when I'm with them. That means that love is how we treat each other. So if you want to know if you're a loving person, don't ask yourself. Ask the people you share your life with. No wonder it is that love seems so simple, but in reality it is so difficult, so complicated, so beautiful, and also so painful. So that's love. And now I want to talk to you about money. Now you know that money is a lot like love because nearly everyone wants it and nearly everyone thinks they have too little of it. In other words, it's a very small number of people who would be card-carrying members of I Have Enough Money Club. And we tend to see money in a binary fashion. I have a little bit of it or I have a lot of it. But just like love, lots and lots of people make big mistakes when it comes to money. So first I want to tell you that money isn't money, it's power. 
And yet, I, yes, I know there are many things that give power. There is beauty and there is politics and there is sex. But money is power. And it is a power that is both powerful and seductive. There is a traditional teaching shared around the story of our Torah portion this morning. And I'm going to share it with you. But then I want to tell you what I think it's saying. Now, you've all seen the movie. Moses ascends to heaven for 40 days and 40 nights and is called back down to earth with the Ten Commandments at hand to give to the people. As Moses comes closer to earth, he hears and then sees the Israelites worshiping a golden calf. And tradition teaches that this sin, and most traditional commentators make a point in saying that this was the moment when that generation was condemned to die in the desert and not enter into the promised land, that they say that this sin that they committed was the sin of idolatry. Which is saying that when Moses left to head up to the top of Mount Sinai, that the people left behind turned away from God to their old habit of worshiping things or idols. But I don't think that's true at all. Because nowhere does it say that the Israelites built an idol to worship. And nowhere does it say that this calf was a new God to replace the God that took them out of Egypt. No. After they built it with gold voluntarily collected from their earrings and necklaces, they then say, pointing to it, the calf, that this is the God that took us out of Egypt. So it seems to me that their sin wasn't in making a golden calf. Their sin was believing it had a power to itself. The medieval Italian commentator Sforno said it best as a question. You think, he asks, this calf will hear your prayers and fulfill your needs and answer your questions? Do you think this calf could have taken you from there and brought you here? And does any of us think, is there anyone who believes for a moment that it being gold was just a coincidence, that covered and layered in money, in gold, that they didn't fall victim to believing that money has a power to save them? So first I want to tell you that my own personal prejudice is that given the choice between people having money and not having money, I would prefer that everyone has as much money as possible. And I'll tell you why. Not then that you'll go out and build bigger homes and drive bigger cars. Because it's an illusion that money makes us good. Money makes you rich. Goodness makes you good which is to say that you can be a miserable SOB and drive the best car and live on the best street and wear the best clothes. And don't think for a moment that our children, who are the most fortunate generation to have ever lived, that they don't see what you spend on and what you give or don't give. They do, and children do as they see. But money is also power. So if you treasure money, then you must treasure what money can do, the hungry it can feed, the homeless it can home, and the souls it can nourish and inspire. Because nowhere in Jewish tradition do we find it a value to become rich. But Jewish tradition is filled with the cause to both be good and do good. So if your money isn't being used for something good, then you should have no use for it. We learn over and over again that the point of our lives is not to live for ourselves, 
It is to give and care for others. And that's the question we need to be asking ourselves. Not how much I have, but how much have I given? It asks not the net worth of cash and assets, but of the people we have touched. It is no surprise that when humanity is created in the Torah, we are told that God creates two people together, that life is hollow without the call of another. So tell me what you have given in your life, tell me who you love, and tell me how you care, and I will tell you precisely who you are. Years ago, I received a letter asking me to purchase a book that had been a collection of biographical stories from survivors of the Shoah, that there would be a total of 56, a story for each and every one of the weekly Torah portions. The funds, I was told, would then be placed into a trust to help support survivors who were now impoverished. Okay, so how can you say no to that request? The book eventually arrived, and I placed it on my shelf, completely forgotten. But recently, my office was moved doing renovations here and the book appeared at the top of a pile and I opened it to this week's Torah portion and this here was its story I remember the man's story when working in Birkenau in a tunnel I was fortunate that I was together with the rabbi from my hometown the rabbi who used to teach me in school he shared his rations with me he said, I am not going to survive, but I can assure you, Moshe, I can assure you that you will survive. And he gave me strength. Every day I was with him, he shared those rations with me. During that time, he told me about the importance of life and to remember the difference between a life of faith and a life of things. He taught me about being kind and compassionate and the way we are supposed to respect every human being. And eventually, when I was separated from him, I would always think how he encouraged me and how he blessed me, not only with food, but with love. I never saw him again, but I will never forget him. May we be blessed with much, but only in order so that we can do much in return. Shabbat Shalom to you all.